This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Hi, great. So excited to be here. Yes, so excited to have you. So um, why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your story? Where did your journey with alcohol start? All right. So I grew up in a Christian home and I had a mixed interpretation of alcohol. Um, Remembering may say my first gulp of alcohol was on a blistering hot summer day here in Arizona. And I took a big gulp of what I thought was ice water and it was alcohol. So I felt the searing pain, rinsed it out really quick in the sink with water and Um, didn't like my first taste of alcohol. And then fast forward to the age of 15, just trying to fit in with the the cool kids. And um, I had a girlfriend that we were inseparable and I'd hang out at her house and her mother had so many DUIs that we would pick her up in the middle of the night before we even had a license and just had free access to any and all alcohol, we used to mix it with Kool-Aid, you know, plenty of sugar. I still didn't like the taste of alcohol. And then again, at 15, I was at a house party and um, the cop showed up and and um, right at the party, I was thrown in the back of the police car and kind of paraded around where all of the kids were hanging out at like a Circle K used as definitely to set an example. And I wasn't arrested. I was, I did volunteer in community service and um, I actually hadn't even been drinking that night, but the the silver lining, I believe in that instance was um, just having the love of, of, of volunteering and giving back to community. I mean, that was definitely the lesson that I learned out of that. And then for me, having an eating disorder and mixing food deprivation with alcohol, going to, you know, getting into parents' liquor cabinets and everything at, at um, 15 and 16 just was, was not a good look. I forever was getting sick. And today is not a day to, to talk about adverse childhood experiences from your youth of trauma or sexual abuse, though I will say that my outward behavior was a sign of, of, of an internal storm or, or chaos that was going on. And though at, let's see, at 16, getting, getting through the teens here at 16, I had, I had a boyfriend. He was already in college. He was, he was much older than me and I would sneak out and go to the college parties and, and live that lifestyle, go to the fraternity parties and everything. And just, you know, made a painful decision at 16 and, and ended up moving high schools kind of, kind of for him. And, um, at 17, I'd be, came pregnant. And two weeks after I turned 18, I had my first child and she was a a preemie, a little one, and um, just really a a little miracle. And I, 
I, I believe that she, she rescued me in a sense that, you know, at that stage of the game, he had signed abandonment papers and walked out of our lives. And, and I knew I was going to be um, the mom and the dad and the responsible one. So I just threw myself into, to being a young mom and, and working and going to night school. And, and um, I was married again at 20 uh, or for the first time at 20. And we had two more children. And really through my 20s, I did not drink too much. I was just, you know, working and um, I was able to finish, like, like I said, my college degree and just focused on being a, a wife and a mom. And see, fast forward to 30 now, you know, I guess I would say in my 20s, my, my really go-to healing was, was literally a pair of running shoes. I, my, my running shoes were just my sanity saviors at that time. I was forever training for marathons and, and that was, that was my go-to at 30. I received one of those 3am wake up calls that uh, my parents had been in a rollover car accident. My father had become a quadriplegic and lived two very trying years. And after his passing, I was so out of touch with my feelings and emotions that I, I didn't even cry at his, his funeral. I was just going to um, not be a stoic, but just um, take care of myself, take care of my family. And at that stage of the game, I made all of the life decisions that you're not supposed to make after um, receiving difficult news or going through a loss. And my father was was a dentist, and and so I had to change jobs, which which was fine. But changed jobs and went through a devastating divorce, and moved twice and got remarried, literally all within a year. And my mask of hiding all of the shame and just trying to keep everything down. Um, at that stage of the game revealed itself as um, in an ugly way as bulimia. And, and that was still running, you know, as my savior, but also bulimia. It was just trying to shove down all of those emotions through my thirties. So I really did not drink too much in my thirties. And at 41, my second marriage dissolved. And I believe that I had failed my, my faith and my family and um, my children all over again. And there is when um, I, I do remember very distinctly when, when alcohol um, just, I, I traded the eating disorder for the wine and uh, the, the wine really would wash over me and, and become that my new scarlet letter, so to speak. And just that regret of the shame and everything. It just all shifted. And especially at one occasion, I had gone out with my girlfriends and, um, which was all fine and good and, and was at home and I had never drank at home alone before, but I opened up a bottle of wine and had a glass of wine by myself. And it was just that sneaky, innocent start of, of a very slippery slope. And, um, and it was, you know, it was, it was more so because my kids had all gone to activities, they were getting older, and, and the home was um, quiet. And to me, having a noisy, joy filled home gave me a sense of um, joy and connection and just that quietness and that loneliness. So 
yeah, I, I still was able to get up in the morning and work out and take my vitamins and, and do my devotions and do all those kind of things, but make sure the family was all taken care of and um, go to a job that I absolutely loved. And, um, but on Sunday mornings, I know when I would attend church, I would you know, like sing in, in, sing songs and sing songs of worship. And I just went with just a mixed sense of guilt and discomfort, but comfort, you know, it was like, I walked in with my suitcase full of sins and disappointments in myself. And that was all brought on myself. And I would still be training for marathons. And I, don't know, I read something crazy back then that like after a long training run, a perfect, you know, carb reload was either beer, which I wasn't a, a beer drinker or, um, like a, a hard lemonade. And so how foolish that was that I thought that was going to, to be the, uh, the fix all. And, um, and I was starting to do sneaky things like hiding wine behind, putting it in a coffee cup and hiding it behind my coffee cup and in my own home. Or I would stop off to work and make sure that I had like the boxed wine and then would get the bigger boxed wine and go to different locations. So there was never a pattern, which was just odd. And even, even in that time, I would, I was always, even if I hadn't been drinking, it could have been during the day. I would always be like looking in my rear view mirror. Like there was no part in my life that, that alcohol just didn't leave me just feeling more anxious. And or my life just wasn't untouched without the fear or guilt of, of that on top of everything else. So it was still just, you know, trading that glass of wine and using that as my calories. So, you know, not eating as much to, to look good and, and drinking the wine just was never a, a good look, but I was very careful um, not as a perfection for, or, or a control towards other people, but more just that I didn't want to, to ever let my guard down. So I was very careful about, you know, never showing as though I had been drinking out in public or, or anything, just that, that cognitive dissonance was just so deafening to me. You know, your body would start to send me messages at like three or four in the afternoon. And I'd be looking at the clock thinking, oh my goodness, I can't have my, my, my wine till four or five. And just, you know, would get something before an event at work and throw it away at different trash cans. And um, I mean, not, I wouldn't drink before work, but before I had to go to something after work to clarify, <laughs> but yeah. So on at 44, I, I met Mr. Well, I met him at, at 41, but at 44, I, I married Mr. Wright. And I never liked the story of how my husband said we, we met. And I just so learned the power of vulnerability and being able to share your story. And I will no longer allow shame to keep me hidden. So we met in a restaurant bar. I was there with a friend and he had come in after work with, with a buddy of his and just to grab something to eat. And somebody had bought her and I um, vodka shots and they were lined up in front of us and we had new intentions of, of drinking them. But my husband had sat down next or soon to be husband had sat down next to me and said, are you driving? That was the first words he ever said to me and, and grabbed my car keys and ordered me um, 
soda water with lime in it. And to this day, that is still my, my go-to drink of choice. So, um, and in our, um, relationship and marriage, um, he, he introduced me to fine wines, no more, no more boxed wines or anything like that. And it was just infused throughout our relationship. And my biggest concern when I changed my relationship with drinking was that it would change our relationship because that was something that uh, kept me stuck for a long time. But I, I really thought that that's what connected us, you know, cause we used it for date nights and all travel, all family gatherings, cooking together, all of these things. And I truly know now that alcohol creates a disconnection and it has been such a tremendous gift that we have given each other in our relationship that we've been able to recalibrate and he, he still drinks though. We have found you know, common values and things that we enjoy doing together. And, you know, re me removing the alcohol has just been able to give me so much more time to invest in, in other things that I love. So it's, it's been so, so, so good. So, um, I guess I can go to, <laughs> I, I didn't have a rock bottom, but I would call my rock bottom happening in, um, in a rocking chair. And my revelation was while, rocking my precious grandson, my first grandson. And I, I had inherited a old crickety rocking chair that creaks like my, my bones. And it was from my grandmother to my mother, to me. And I was at, rocking my, my sweet little guy. And I had rocked away on the wooden floor away from my glass of wine. And I have this aha moment because I'm trying to disrupt the baby to be able to grab that glass of wine. And, and I don't know if it was, you know, generational trauma or revelation that I had, but at that very moment, I thought this is, this is going to be my legacy. And, and I had that very same grandmother um, was from Sweden and she was the kindest most gentle, wonderful woman. I cannot say enough good things about her, though I do not have a memory of her not smelling of alcohol. And she would keep wine behind the shower curtain underneath the um, bathroom sinks. And and it was like, I don't want that that to be my grandchildren's memory. And And I have a choice right now and to, to make a difference. So I knew that I was pushing my limits. I, I was starting to sneak and hide and I was just on that, you know, slippery slope and, and it was quickly becoming a free fall and it was only a matter of time. So you know, my life was so full with so many good things and I've been able to do so many amazing things, but I felt so empty. And I think I was finally at a place being in, in a better place that I was able to, to face all of those things. And that is one of the greatest gifts of being able to remove alcohol for sure. That's amazing. That's so wonderful. And how have you found sort of social life? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So meeting one of my friends tonight, we're, we're, we're getting together and the social life in general, um, has actually expanded. And, uh, I, I still have the same core group of, of friends. It's also broadened 
wonderful community that you've had and through the coaching program and that opportunity. I have friends from around the world and a very best friend that, that we're running a program together. So I look at it as being expansive. And not only that is, is, is not only in the the quantity, I would say, but in the quality of the friendships. And I remember after I, my girlfriends and I had unfortunately had gone to a, a funeral to get together and we were locked in, in, a, in the car and I had known them for 25 years and hadn't shared really all of me. And we were sitting in the car and, and I said, I've got something I've got to tell you. And I just you know, told them kind of my story and, and they loved me all the way through it. And it didn't change our relationship. You know what it did? It great. It gave it greater depth. And that's one of the beauties of all of this for sure. Oh, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. And so it, it for sure brought you closer to your friends and to your husband and yes. what else has kind of changed and got better? Well, I would say my relationship with myself, you know, I mean, if you look at the five love languages, I really was able to, to love myself. And also one of the most beautiful things is not only having kind of the scales removed from your own eyes, but also seeing that light in somebody else's eyes and just keeping secrets hidden or, or things hidden. It's, it's not that what someone has done or what has been done to them, it is the meaning that we give to it. And, and so I was giving all of these untruths to the story about who, who, who I was. And, and that for sure has been just such a blessing for sure. And, and truly I have found more peace in, and really facing my shame and letting the healing light come into all of my broken places. And I can be, you know, spiritually authentic, but more so than any false or pretend wholeness that I ever did before. And that is, it has such, such a positive impact on me. And and truly for the rest of my family. And, and thank you once again for, you know, the generations to come and, and the the information that you have uh, for the youth and the young ones. I mean, what just a profound difference that's going to make. So great. And then, so what prompted you to kind of take the next step? To take the next step when, um, with the coaching certification, that is, is another good story. So I feel like I, um, as, as a dental hygienist and working full-time, um, I would always tell my patients, they come in with feeling like, um, guilt or or fear or discomfort or, or shame. And, you know, the, the eyes might be a window to the soul, but the mouth is a window to the rest of the body. And you can see where people are holding pain. And, and I would always tell them, literally, I will wipe your slate clean, you know, remove the stain and give you a shine. And patients were always coming to me. And um, we were so much more than just the, the hygienist, right? You would be able to 
um, get to know them and share stories and have a relationship. And and that's why I, I, I call my business Clean Slate because I, I am now able to do that th- through alcohol and making a difference in other people's lives. And that was the next step is joining your program and what a profound difference because it is the the knowledge that you gain and the tools and the tactics have been amazing. So when there was like a waiting list to get into the coaching program and I kept rechecking and checking, I, I apologize for whoever had to have all my emails out there, but I, I just um, am so grateful that it was so worth every bit of time and effort that it took to to go through the certification. And it has been just fantastic. Oh, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. So, great. so, so, so great. So, and I like your pillow with your, your title of your business. Oh yeah. I also have one that has a shine on it because I, I, my big thing is like going from shame to shine and that's through like, you know, BJ Fogg's research and, you know, Dr. Amen with those certifications that I have and just all of the good things. And I think another one is Barbara Erickson, when you're talking about on like your day two, it's not what you give up. It's what you gain. I mean, it's just so powerful. That's just awesome. Well, um, it's, it's been so great. So let me ask you the two questions, uh, which are, first of all, where can people find you? Should they want to learn more about you and your coaching? Okay. That's, um, with my clean slate coaching.com. That's awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes too, which will be great. And, and you focus like very, like who, who would be a good fit for you? Yeah. So the program that I'm running with a with a fellow coach is for Christian women. That's you know kind of um, we we know that there were other women out there that was or that were in church on Sunday mornings and um, were more in that gray area drinking. Though I have had clients from you know. 40 to you know well into their 60s and 70s. So and and actually had you know a male client as well. So yeah. That's great. And then Suzanne, so if you were going to go back in time and you know talk to uh your past self about sort of what your life is looking like now, what would you tell her? Well, I, I would tell that innocent uh, child that needed safety and protection and the sense of belonging that that she was loved regardless of what has been done to her or what she has been done and your mistakes do not determine your worth or define your character and you're valuable and and worthy and deserve love just as you are and you do not need to to run or numb or or hide from your loss of innocence and just find peace in my loving arms. I mean, love your older self and you're going to grow up to use the, the mess as a message. And, um, you will become a, a courageous woman who will make hard, but brave decisions, uh, to step out of the, the chaos towards, um, out of the chaos of shame really towards health and, and honesty and, and you're enough. And I truly believe and, and I have, I have seen it that when people are cherished and, and treated with tenderness, 
that that they can change and and tenderness and strength can coexist you know soft you know soft soft heart but a, but a strong back and um and we are just so much more resilient than than we think we are oh, i love that that's just amazing so good i love the you know your mess becomes your message and it's so true like you know be open and vulnerable and soft, but also, also strong. So it's just being able to, like, I had a a neat experience with one of the fellow coaches and in the program through our training. And we really didn't have a lot in common, except that I just felt drawn to say, Hey, can I, can I share with you? And can we do some coaching back and forth? And I was able to sit down and um, just on my own, I, I kind of wrote out a timeline of, of my, um, my life, so to speak, and, and sitting down and, and having somebody that was just listening. And I was able to go through and look at the miracles is what I would call them, or just blessings of things that happened in my life that may have been challenging, but that, that I was able to, to overcome. And that, that was the most memorable experience that I've ever had. And I, and I thank her for that daily. And, um, it is, it's so awesome to be able to do that for somebody else, for sure. I mean, the, the coaching experience was like before I was, you know, you just trying to figure things out on the own, keep it, you know, keeping everything healthy and happy on the outside. But I felt like I was in a rowboat, like throwing water out of the side, like trying to bail water out. And coaching was like literally a jet plane out of pain. And, and it just was, it was so quick. And, and it doesn't mean that there isn't things still going on, but just finding that healing comfort and that safety, because to me, it was, I was always concerned about, um, anything showing, like if I was signing up for something, what was that going to mean? And it just, it's safe and it's comfortable and, you know, it's okay to embrace uncertainty. We can figure it out and, you know, remove the clutter of shame and, and, and just feel so much better. That's just awesome. I love that so much. Oh, it's just great. Well, thank you so, so very much for coming on and sharing your story with us. It was just awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.